Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to Newsweek's Foreign Service, where we look at the big stories from the US and what they mean for the rest of the world. There's no challenge too big for Donald J. Trump. This is a man who once described himself as the worst thing that's ever happened to ISIS. But now Trump is facing a foe closer to home and maybe even tougher, the party establishment. Next week is the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. This has to be the moment when Trump unites his fellow Republicans, quiets some of the dissenters and says to the party and the nation, I can really be your president. Already, he's been trying to paint himself as more measured and statesmanlike. I am the law and order candidate. It's made us think about what happens when populists face off against the professionals. Politicians like Trump are great at stirring up popular movements, but can they, or indeed should they, ever master the conventional approach to steering a party or a country? There's lessons on this subject to be found in British politics too. The country's EU referendum saw anti-Europe campaigners surge to victory by masterfully manipulating mass discontent with traditional politics. There is a contrast between this side of the argument that is offering hope and that side of the argument that is offering nothing but fear about life outside. I think the people in this country have had enough of experts. These are the problems of uncontrolled immigration. We need to take back control and vote leave on June the 23rd. We heard their Brexit campaigners Boris Johnson, Michael Gove and Andrea Leadsom, all of whom have since dramatically crushed and burned. Britain's new Prime Minister is a consummate professional and former pro-EU campaigner, the Home Secretary Theresa May. Why couldn't the populist insurgents keep up their momentum after the campaign? Joining me to discuss this is Leslie Vindjamuri, an Associate Fellow at Chatham House's Americas Programme and an Associate Professor in the Politics Department at SOAS, and Charlie Wolfe, a political commentator and former Communications Director for Republicans Abroad. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to start looking at the Republican National Convention. Um, Charlie, could you just tell me something? Uh, what is the purpose of the convention? What, what, what's it for? Okay, well, in British terms, it's not a party conference that happens every year. This is a big four-day event where essentially it's the big advert. It is the introduction of the, of the candidate. Uh, this is where the delegates are counted and the candidate is chosen. Generally, at least in the last several years, We've known going in who has the votes, but in years past, you could have a contested uh, convention where they'd have to go through several different votes, or the uh, the other version, which is a not contested, but it's uh, not a, it goes where the, it's done in the back room. 
forgive me, the words just gone out of my head. But the main thing is, this is where the, the different speakers of the party sets out the tone of what the party wants to do. And, of course, the, uh, the candidate is then chosen, gives his or her first speech, and then picks his or her vice president candidate, and then you're into the election season. This year, of course, it is probably, we'll come on to that later, going to be uh, Donald Trump. How, how important a moment is this for Trump? Um, what, what's, what, what, what's important about the convention? Oh, very, very important, because even though it's had a lot of play and a lot of people know what's going on, there's also a large uh, amount of people that don't follow elections day to day, like uh, people like ourselves that are in the news business that are watching every day and tuned into the different news channels. So this may be a first exposure for some people. And again, this is where they can get their message across on all the channels, well, hopefully all the channels, uh, because of the news coverage it receives and, and, you know, set the tone for what they want to do. And Leslie, if I could just um, bring you in here. I mean, uh, what, what's, what's important about the convention for you, I do? I think this convention is going to be even more important than past Republican conventions have been predominantly because it's been such a fracture. There's been such a fracture in the Republican Party because of the Trump candidacy. So I think people will be watching this. Um, I would suspect because Trump has you know, garnered very high viewer rates from the media that, that we might see higher viewership than we've seen ever before. And people will really be looking to see who turns up. Is, there going, is the Republican Party going to genuinely support Donald Trump? What will he do? He's very unpredictable, as we know. So it's, all bets are off. Um, I think there's a sense that he's going to be toned down. This is what we're being told, but one never knows. So, But I think this more than in the past is really going to be a moment. It's not so much that we don't know who the candidate's going to be, but we really don't know whether the Republican Party is going to hang together through this election. And this is this is an incredibly important moment in, in American politics. But, but to pick up on a point that you had there, Leslie, you were talking about um, this is the moment when he's really got to kind of bring the party together almost. Um, part of that... We mentioned earlier about the VP pick after being part of this. Trump is likely going to announce his before this year. Um, who do you think he should pick? How's, and, and is that a kind of really key moment for bringing that party establishment on side? Well, generally, and this is where Obama has been a little bit different, generally it, uh, the man who runs for president is an executive. Generally it's a governor, possibly a general like Eisenhower. And then they usually seek out someone who knows the Hill, that knows Congress. So you had, uh, for instance, George W. Bush was a businessman and then a governor. He chose Dick Cheney, who did have a business acumen, but more importantly, knew the Hill as a longtime uh, congressman. Uh, Joe Biden, longtime senator, again, knows his way, knows who to ring up on, a, on the phone and, and get the, uh, the help they need in that, uh, in that branch of government. Um, so I think he'll want someone with that sort of experience. Uh, one name that I think has said no but would have been an excellent pick would have been uh, uh, John Kasich. This is a man who has been a governor, so he has the executive experience in government that Trump doesn't have and also has that congressional experience and also was in the Reagan administration. So uh, he, he has the sort of uh, uh, bona fides of, having, of being a conservative, which would assuage that side of the party. But it won't be him, unfortunately. So we've got this um, populist figure, Trump, coming in. As you say, traditionally, presidents tend to pick someone who kind of knows Washington a little bit better than them. Leslie, do you think it will be enough if it, whoever he picks? Can they, can they really uh, 
you know, win over the party establishment in that way. I mean, I think one of the concerns for a Trump candidacy is is not only the traditional concerns, but it's also to swing the electorate because there, there's a real question about the electability of Donald Trump. And, and so it, choosing a vice presidential candidate that can bring in some of the independent voters that are sort of sitting and waiting to see who their candidate's going to be, I think will be very important. So it's, it's perhaps because, of, because Trump is so unique um, as a figure in political life that that choice of a vice president um, signifies something different than it has in the past. There are several names that are up. Newt Gingrich seems to be the, the big name, but I, I think Newt is a bit old for that. Um, Mike Pence, the uh, governor of um, Indiana, has the correct bona fides as a, as a successful governor. He's been in, in Congress, um, very correct uh, conservative bona fides. That's the, the main thing, is getting to that conservative branch of the, of the, uh, the party and saying, listen, the guy will be safe. He will uh, appoint the right sort of Supreme Court judges. He'll fall on the right side of things like uh, legislation on abortion, um, different, you know, conservative uh, uh, concerns. Uh, so that's what he's probably looking for. Mike Penn seems to be the man that fits that uh, that uh, um, uh, category. What about you, Leslie? Do you think any well, of these people Chris, are Well, Chris Christie's also on the list, but, you know, one of these, these are the three names that are being circulated. But again, it's not just about the base of the party. Um, it's also about the electorate. And so I think when you start to think about the electorate, the broader electorate, I'm not so sure that Newt Gingrich brings that in. It's a limited set of choices, and we are all really, you know, as with so many things with Donald Trump, every time he stands up and opens his mouth, we're waiting to see what he, we're genuinely waiting to see what he said, and it's never been that way more. No firm predictions there, but let's pick up on that point. As you say, we had, this is a genuine moment of, of excitement and expectation. Excitement may be the wrong word, maybe maybe dread for some, excitement for others. But what, what do we think then um, he's going to do. I think he's going to come in having been coached, aiming to be presidential, aiming to be more moderate in tone and perhaps more sophisticated than he's been. But I suspect that when Donald Trump hits that stage and feels that energy and the buzz and, you know, it really is a bit of a party scene when you get to a convention, I think it will be very hard for him to resist and stay in that calmer mode. So I think we'll see him go off message in the way that he has in very unpredictable ways in the past. One of the interesting questions will be to see, you know, who, who are the other speakers going to be? And we don't know. So far as I've seen in the last few hours, it hasn't, still hasn't been released. And, you know, that will be crucial, right, to setting the overall tone for the convention, whether it can become a more serious um, platform for the Republican Party really coming together and, and sort of setting the stage for the next several months of the election will depend, I think, on, you know, whether he can lean on people that really have a strong voice. Uh, I think the Make America Great, the sort of, you know, the wall, all these messages that he's come back to um, will be, you know, the focus on um, the U.S. globally might be in there. But but I do think you're right that he'll he'll turn to he'll turn to a focus on Hillary and, and, uh, and trying to, to take her down a peg. To pick up there on what you were saying about um, other speakers. And in fact, you touched on this earlier as well with the, the VP question. Um you know, there are going to be some pretty prominent no-shows at this this uh, this convention. We already know. Um, some people aren't committed to turning up or not. Some have said they probably won't be there. Um, how damaging is that? Is this a kind of mass revolt by the mainstream of the party? There's no doubt about it. It's absolutely damaging. But it's not only damaging for Donald Trump. That's obviously the case. And um, I don't I think many people are content with that. 
Um, I think the broader question is it's damaging for the Republican Party. And, and this entire primary season on the Republican side has been very damaging for the Republican Party because there just isn't a consensus candidate. Um, so I think in some ways the convention becomes more interesting for what it's going to tell us about the Republican Party than it, than it is really about Trump per se. Actually, actually I, I'm going to disagree slightly. Uh, going back to my years as a, as a disc jockey in music radio, we used to be, used to be said, you can't be hurt by what you don't play. So the, the, the people that don't show up won't be top of mind. Yes, it may get noticed by a commentator, an anchor or two, but uh, again, that's not what's going to be noticed. Um, but will what will be noticed if the I'm sure we'll talk about this probably later if they try to change the rules uh, if there's people trying to uh, bring in a, a last minute candidate to bring Trump down that will have an effect and then there's the other show besides what's going on inside don't forget what could be happening outside and this may be the the, the biggest riot and fight since uh, the Democrats in 1968 uh, with uh, people the general public protesting outside and. Uh, so you All think we're likely to see protests against, protests for both oh, fights? Mainly against. Uh, you know, he seems to bring those with him wherever he goes. And uh, it's, I think, going to be 1968 all over again. But you, I mean, you're right in the sense that, you know, these these kind of internal party politics stories don't necessarily come front and centre of the kind of media agenda. But does it show a complete uh, kind of um, fault line in the party, uh, which 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 he's really going to struggle to heal if some of these people don't turn up. I think up. where it, it benefits or can benefit the Republicans is, remember, he's the anti-establishment candidate. So he'll say, uh, the Bushes aren't there. Well, they're establishment. And, you know, George lost, got us into Iraq, uh, and he'll put him down. Uh, again, I think people, it will, it will not be top of mind. It will get noticed, and it'll be shuffled away. What do you, what do you think, Leslie? Is this a... Is this a a really serious problem now that the, the state of the party as it is? The state of the party is an absolutely serious problem. I don't think that even, I don't think anybody who's serious in the Republican Party thinks that this is a good moment for the Republicans. The best hope that they have is that this becomes a moment for the Republican Party after the elections to regroup and rethink and reform itself in, in a fairly significant way. Um, but the, the no-shows question is interesting. I mean, I think you're right that it, it's there is the you know you don't think about who's not there you think about who is there and if I if I were um, if I were in this party and and not a Trump supporter I'd be looking to to get listed as a speaker and then go radically off the message that Donald Trump might want me to uh, to stick to but I'm sure he's being very yeah. careful to control but, but that he, speaker even list. that you know this is essentially Howard Trump is uh, is is something Patty Chayefsky uh, more or less foresaw this is Howard Beale. You know, and, and network. This is I'm I'm mad as hell. Go to your windows. Go to them now, and 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 shout it as loud as you can. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. That's what his campaign's been based on, and uh, you know his followers will look at if if someone got up, if, if Leslie was there, and you know had her moment uh, at, at the lectern and uh, was slagging off Donald Trump. Uh, all of his people say, "Well, I'm mad as hell. She's establishment," you know, or. Whoever you want so to, that might uh, almost fuel him then if someone were to, to take your route. Yeah, but remember that this is about a general this is going to be about a general election. And it's, it doesn't the, help. The, the, the numbers that Donald Trump needs to get in order to win this general election are vastly beyond the number of supporters he's had so far. And this is going to be televised and it's about, you know, it's about the, the people in their homes watching um, and trying to consider whether they will actually turn to him when they walk into that voting booth and it's Hillary or Donald. What are they going to do? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. And do you think there is a chance that anyone could go further than shouting from the sidelines? Is there any chance at all that we're going to see any kind of significant move to stop Trump being the nominee. It just seems very dumb to me. I mean, why would you even, those that are campaigning against him, uh, Mitt Romney, and, and, and you know, I, I know people that know Mitt very well, and I'm, I'm surprised because essentially every person that's trying to get uh, a, a vote, not, uh, how do I phrase this, to not vote for, Hill, uh, for uh, Trump is a vote for Hillary. And whatever you may think of, of uh, Donald Trump as a Republican, well, would you rather Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? So, you know, I think that's the thing that I think ultimately will hopefully hold the party together, or at least that's what, you know, many uh, Republicans can, can use against those naysayers saying, you know, listen, think this through. Yeah, let me add to something to that. There is a parallel to be drawn here between the recent referendum vote and, uh, and, and, and this question that you've raised. They're clearly very different political processes, but there is a sense in which when you set rules for how a decision will be made. It's very contentious and, and controversial and frankly risky as a politician to then openly subvert those rules. So to stand up and have a coup in effect within the Republican Party against a, a candidate who's gone through the process that the party set um, and take him out would be in you could contest whether those rules are fair or just or democratic, but they are the rules that were agreed, and he has played by those rules. Um, the same thing with discussions about the referendum and you know ignoring the referendum. Most serious politicians right now are not suggesting that the referendum should be upended because the rules were set, the rules were followed. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be other negotiations or other broader political processes that fundamentally change the outcome. But actually upending 
a result that was rule-based, the product of a rule-based structure is very, very unlikely. I spoke to one delegate and a, a party insider, and she said to me, if somehow Donald Trump is not made the, uh, the nominee, uh, and this was before uh, the, the other two had dropped out, she said 1,500 delegates will walk. And I think Leslie's parallel there is, is pretty apt, actually. I mean, you, this is uh, for the benefit of any listeners who aren't following. This is the UK's EU referendum um, we, uh, that Britain voted to leave the European Union a few weeks back. At the moment, we haven't started the actual technical process of leaving. The referendum isn't technically legally binding, although, as Leslie alluded to, most people think that we will probably have to go because there would be quite a lot of discontent. And I wanted to bring the referendum in because this question we've set ourselves here about populists versus professionals that the, the, the anti-EU campaign in Britain's EU referendum was a campaign which benefited from great popular anger with conventional politics, with immigration, with all sorts of other things. Many politicians stoked that anger. They rode it to victory in the referendum. They wanted to then, some of them wanted anyway, to then step in and actually have a go at turning that into actual conventional political success, running the country. And one by one, they all dropped out. Boris Johnson withdrew his leadership bid for the Conservatives, as did Andrea Leadsom later on. Michael Gove was defeated in the Conservative leadership election. Nigel Farage of UKIP resigned, and so on and so on. Um, so to come on to this, I mean, why do you think, um, Leslie, I might start with you, uh, why do you think um, all of those politicians were not able to take this great popular mood that they had judged better than their counterparts in, in the Remain campaign and turn it into success. And why are we now ending up with Theresa May, a Remain campaigner and a consummate professional running Britain? Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the specific story, which I think we all know well, which is a Boris Johnson having really backed in, in this um, campaign to leave, then comes out with his big article, I think it was in the Daily Telegraph, saying, you know, Monday after the Friday vote, or the Friday results, saying we must stay incredibly close to Europe. And this, of course, you know, Michael Gove takes advantage of this. And, and we see this sort of internal division amongst those who are on all on the side of, of leaving, which and eventually leads to their downfall. But, but the, the sort of broader question that you raise, first of all, I think Boris Johnson, you know, is widely believed, and I subscribe to the view, wasn't completely committed to leaving. He was a pragmatist, right? He was thinking pragmatist with respect to his own political fortunes and political prospects. And I think that people within his party, especially Michael Gove, read that. But I think the the, the public probably read that too. Now, Theresa May, it's it's an interesting how how we might think of her. She's actually emerged, yes, she was a candidate for Remain, she, but she's deeply pragmatic. She's always, she's been tough on immigration for a very long time, which is what we're told, right, is the number one issue for many of those who supported um, Britain leaving the EU. So we're ending up with a candidate who, yes, technically wasn't supporting Remain, but she's she's tough, she's pragmatic, she's not um, overly, you know, sentimental in any way, shape, or form about Europe. She's supporting a whole series of measures that that bring back control to workers. She's trying to put workers on corporate boards. Um, so she's actually, in terms of a number of her policies, not an antithetical to the basic, the sort of core principles that were mobilized by those pushing 
to leave the EU. She didn't necessarily win it either. She just, the others lost it, and she just happened to have been left there. And, and I mean, to be fair, um, she, as you said, is a very steady, uh, competent person. You, you may or may not agree with her politics, but you feel safe. Uh, you know, Theresa May is a safe pair of hands, and that's how she got to where she is. I, I, I was surprised with Michael Gove because, you know, Gove to me always is someone who is probably the intellectual of the party. But again, it's perception. Somehow the, you know, he, the perception was that he did as Ed Miliband did to, to his older brother David. He, you know, he stabbed by, uh, Boris Johnson in the back. Now, I, it may or may not have been the case, but perception is reality in politics. I think the other thing to remember is that, you know, this is a very divided country with respect to this particular vote, though it was not, in England, it was a 7% lead for leave, but overall, it was less than 4%. And then we, of course, saw the anecdotal information coming out immediately following the referendum, suggesting that a lot of people didn't really think their vote would count, and they had regrets. One poll by Maury suggested that there are 10% of those who voted who would vote differently if given the chance again. It's actually reported as 90% were committed to their vote, but that means 10% are not. And Theresa May played a very careful game right through this, which was that she didn't come out as a diehard Remain candidate. She was careful and cautious. And so she sort of did, I think she was probably more strategic than than you might think, right? She left herself the room to emerge um, as the party leader. And then, of course, with Andrea Lidsom, I think that uh, there, you, you, you know, you're going back to your original question, your original thesis about the populist uh, versus the professional. Um, though she's been around in banking and, and has been around in politics, she hasn't been at the same level as these other people. So when she made her comment about uh, about having children, and, and even that was, to be fair, as, as uh, having spoken to uh, Louise Mensch about it, she supposedly made the comment and said this has nothing to do with the election. And the Times had uh, supposedly conflated the two issues. Um, and again, it's perception, it's communication, but she couldn't handle the heat. She, she quit because it was just getting too hot in the kitchen. And this raises an interesting question, really, where I think you're right, Leslie, in your view of the very, very strategic way that Theresa May played this, the very pragmatic way with which she's conducted her whole career, and the way in which she's able to form a very kind of carefully focused policy platform. So are we getting here to a kind of almost a good model to follow for political Mm -hmm. change, whereby you get, you know, populists go out there and they stir up all the anger and they get the change, and then the professionals come in afterwards and take over and sort it all out? I think it would be very difficult to characterize anything that's happened since the referendum as an ideal model that anyone should ever try to replicate for how to run a high-functioning democratic country um, that has purported to take a leadership role not only in Europe but in the West. It's been a terribly bad time for Britain and for British politics. But it is, but what you're intimating is very interesting, right? That there there is a sense in which the populists or leaders that draw on populism as a means of mobilizing a broader base of support might be successful in the first round, but when it comes to actually governing and broadening that base and and creating policies that can be implemented and recognizing the reality that Britain and especially London and well all of Britain, right, relies on economic access, open borders, um, and all sorts of things that you can't just write off. And if you do write them off, as we've seen, the people who suffer the most are the people who voted to leave. 
Um, so there's there's a contradiction in there, and that that um, has, that becomes a fundamental reality. And professionals, in general, um, are trusted. I think when it comes to governance, because they have expertise. I, I think it's also more evident when you look at Jeremy Corbyn, uh, the leader of the Labor Party, um, somehow got into everyone's amazement, uh, does not seem as, I mean, you could say he's principled, he believes what he believes, and he has a large following, but I honestly cannot see Jeremy Corbyn running a government. Bernie Sanders, again, is very popular, has a movement behind him, but again, I could not see a man who sat on the back benches of the Senate uh, never having had any sort of a a chairmanship or a committee uh, position running the United States of America. And Donald Trump? Well, see, where, where, where Trump is, I think, the one exception is he does have a lot of executive experience. He has run something. Uh, so I think he would know how at least to find the people to do the, the work for him, to advise him and take care of the day-to-day stuff, and he takes care of the big picture. That's where he, I think, is a bit of an exception. And so to ask a question that maybe ties a lot of this stuff together then, who knows best, uh, the people or the professionals? Who should politicians be listening to? Should Trump be listening to the furious people shouting that they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore? Or should he be starting to knuckle down and listen to the party establishment about how to behave? Should Theresa May be listening more to the various furious grievances of the Brexit voters? Or should she be thinking, as David Cameron advised her today, to, to really play it safe and go as close to Europe as possible? Who, who's right, people or professionals? I don't, I don't know who's right, but uh, as Donald Trump, and only Donald Trump could say when he was going through the exit polling after I can't remember which primary, and he said, you know, the high school educated, I love the high school educated, there's such and such, I love the, and he says, what was it, the uneducated voter, I love the uneducated voters. Uh, I, I think if there's any quote that sums up the election, uh, that, that, that's the one for me. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a tough nut to crack. I, I, I'm really interested to hear what Leslie has to say on this one myself. I mean, I think there are a couple of things. First, we have been watching trends, the increase of inequality in the United States and the United Kingdom especially. And and um, undoubtedly, it's the case that there is something very real going on there that's being expressed at the popular level, which has to do with the fact that the middle class is doing less well than it used to and can expect to continue to do less well, and that the top, not only the top 1%, but the top 0.05% or, or smaller, um, is doing extraordinarily well. So it's that gap. Um, so there's there's something there that has to be listened to and that cannot be ignored. And this is what the EU referendum in the UK has told us. This is what the Donald Trump phenomena is telling us. This is what the Bernie Sanders, all very different, but all tapping into something that is real and that can't be wished mm-hmm. away. On the other hand, to, to, to and I, it's important, I think, to pose it as either or because it forces us to think, but it's not an either or because then, of course, what do you do with that? What you do with that is not to just be reactive and cut off everything that you've worked hard to achieve, which is access to, in the case of the UK, the single market, but with regulations and standards and guidelines and all sorts of things. But you then need to turn to people who have invested years in trying to understand what are highly complex technical issues and can communicate those and translate them and understand that populist sentiment and the position of people in very unequal societies and then try to create policies that can re- that can respond to those issues. But you, One, but you can't expect 
people who were going to work at 8 and coming home at 5 and then feeding two or three children and trying to get enough sleep to get up and go to work the next morning to have any grasp over how they would actually solve the problems that they face on a daily basis. Fascinating points on both sides, but we're going to wrap this up now. Thank you very much to Charlie and to Leslie. And thank you to everyone for listening. Um, If you've enjoyed the episode, please do look out for us every Thursday. If you can't wait that long, pick up a copy of Newsweek. Head to newsweek.com for the latest news and analysis. We'll be looking ahead to that Republican National Convention next week. Thank you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.